Well, great to see all of you here this morning. Thanks for coming and joining us. I know we have some folks who are watching online as well, so good morning to all of you. Uh, if it is your very first time here this morning, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor, and I want to thank you so much uh, for coming and checking us out here at Connect. And uh, what I love every Sunday as I, as I look across the room is that we have such a variety of, of ages, from, from young to old, which means that sometimes some of the stories I get to tell, some of the folks who are... Uh, of my generation, so you know your late thirties. Um, you, uh, you, uh, you, you'll understand some of what I'm going to share. But some of you young people, you're like, "What is he talking about?" Because I want to take you back to a time where, if we wanted to get from A to B and we were driving a car, we had to reach into the glove box and take out this this piece of it was like a small booklet that unfolded 14 times till it covered the entire windshield and we held it there as we drove to try and find our way to where we were going to get to go it was a ridiculous way of doing things Uh, but then technology changed and developed and something incredible called MapQuest came onto the scene MapQuest was amazing because before you left your house you could type in the directions where you want to go and your printer um, um, ask your mom and dad what that is. It's a machine that's in the office that you never use. But uh, your printer would print out a piece of paper with all the directions. It was very accurate. Go three miles on this road, then turn left, then go 11 feet on this road, and then turn right. And, uh, but it was so accurate that you make one mistake, and then the rest of the directions are useless. Because now you're off. You know, you're literally following directions to a place that no longer exists. Then... And I remember this because I, I like to think of myself as a bit of a gadget guy. I'm one of those guys that gets the, that gets the gadgets when they first come out. GPS started to come out, and, and you could get these GPS systems, but they weren't connected to any kind of uh, Wi-Fi or anything like that. They were connected to like a, a, a database that you had to load. So it was a memory card, CD, whatever it was. So I had one of these, and a group of us, we were at a convention down in Springfield. I was driving one vehicle. There was four or five other vehicles that I was in charge of. I'd booked the hotel at this place in Springfield, and uh, they were all starting to get their maps out. I'm like, ah, guys, look what I got. They're like, what is that? I was like, it's one of those GPS things that you've heard of. They're like, really? I was like, yeah, watch this. And I get my old phone out, and I type in the address of where we're going in Springfield, and it starts to say, it's talking to us. It's telling us to drive along, turn left and right. And we're like, this is incredible. And I remember I punched in the address at the time, and uh, I can't remember where I was staying, but the, the name of the street was named after the hotel. So it's something like, you know, Holiday Inn Drive. Um, it was actually probably more likely to have been Motel 6 Drive yeah, back then. But um, whatever the name of this street was, it actually didn't exist in this database on the, uh, the GPS system that I bought. So rather than tell me it didn't exist, it just took me to the next nearest sounding street. <laughs> So it was like Holiday Street or whatever it might have been. So we're just, I mean, there's six of us. We're driving through Springfield and it's taking me, turn left, turn right. And I'm like, it's telling us where to go. This is incredible. Now we're kind of in some neighborhoods. I'm like, maybe it's taking us on a shortcut. This is great. The neighborhoods, we're getting deeper and deeper into the neighborhoods. And then suddenly we just pull up on this residential street. It says, you've arrived. And all these cars behind me all stopping. We're like, we have not arrived. So then I have to get the old map out and unfold it, and I realize we are on the wrong side of Springfield altogether. So what a wonderful day and age that we live in right now, where we can just punch that address into our phone, and Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever you use just takes you there. 
I mean, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Some of us never even look to make sure we're going. We just, it says, drive straight ahead and off we go. We never look to make sure they're taking us to the right place. But, but technology has changed so much to where now we have these clear directions on where to go. And as we look back to the Bible, one of the great things is, especially as you look at the life of Jesus, he gives us some clear direction on where to go, on how to live our lives. And we're talking right now in a series on, on the I am phrases of Jesus. The I am phrases of Jesus. Because John, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote, um, it is believed it was he that wrote the account of John's life uh, in, in the letter John. So in the, in the New Testament, you've got four letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John's account, um, he talks about Jesus and he shares stories about Jesus. And, and really, his reason for writing this letter was he wanted everyone to believe in the same Jesus that he believed in. He'd seen with his own eyes the difference that Jesus could make, and he wanted people in that New Testament world to, to understand who Jesus was, to really understand everything about him, to believe what John had seen. So he felt it was important to write down these seven I am statements that Jesus made, because they really were a, an insight into who Jesus was. And over the last few weeks, if you've not been here, you can go online to our website or onto the podcast page, and you can listen to previous week's uh, messages that talk about these I am phrases of Jesus because they tell us a little bit about who he is and this morning we're going to look at another one and this morning is quite interesting because it happens right at the end of the life of Jesus in fact we're going to find ourselves this morning in the room where the last supper took place these are literally Jesus's final days before his death on the cross the disciples, understandably, are pretty confused because things are changing quickly. Things are happening quickly and they're not really sure what's going on. Jesus has just washed all of their feet. So they're already kind of a little confused, a little uncomfortable because of what's just happened. And then he starts to talk about him leaving. He starts to talk about the fact that one of you in this room will betray me. He says to Peter, Peter, you're gonna deny three times that you ever knew me. So in this room, these, these disciples who are gathered, who have followed Jesus for three years now, they have no idea what's going on. At best, they're confused. At worst, they are frustrated. Frustrated because <clears throat> just three years ago, they'd left everything to follow this man. Some walked away from a family business. They laid down their nets and they said, we are gonna follow you simply because a guy showed up one day and said, follow me. You imagine if tomorrow at work, um, someone you've never met before comes into the office, comes into the factory, wherever you are, and says, follow me. And you lay down your tools, you shut your laptop, you just leave and follow them. I mean, that person would have to be a pretty special kind of person. There would have to be something pretty incredible about a person like that for you to just lay everything down and follow them. But imagine if you did, and that for three years, you followed them, you got caught up in the excitement of their mission. You, you were like, this is the person, I made the right decision. I love what this guy is doing. I love what he's saying. I love where he's going. And then suddenly one day he starts to say things like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna be out of here in a few days. John says this in John 13, 33. Uh, Jesus said, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
And as they told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. The disciples have to be thinking, what? We gave up everything to follow you. Picking up on their confusion and their frustration, we find ourselves in the passage we're gonna look at this morning in John 14, uh, Jesus trying to help them understand what they clearly don't understand. John chapter 14, verse one says, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? What are you talking about, says Thomas. Like the greatest of maps, Jesus is saying, I will show you the way. But like all of us, Thomas is like, we don't know what you're talking about. And I love that that little insight into poor old Thomas is there in the scripture. He's basically saying, Jesus, I've been hanging out with you for three years. I have got no idea what you're talking about. And if we continue to read on in John, there's another situation where Jesus dies and and he he comes back to life again. He starts interacting with people and and Thomas gets to hear that, that Jesus, who died on the cross, who he saw with his own eyes, breathe his last breath, has now come back to life. They're like, Thomas, Jesus has come back from the dead. And Thomas says, and John tells us, I don't believe it. Unless I can see the holes in his hands, and put my finger in it. Unless I can see the the spear, the cut that was made in his side and put my hand in it, unless I can do that, I will not believe. And from that moment till today, Thomas is now known as Doubting Thomas. He's followed Jesus for three years. That's his legacy. (laughs) And I love that they leave that in there. (laughs) I love that that's in the Scriptures. I was thinking about it. You know, one day when the book is written about Dave Jane and the beginnings of Connect Church, um, it actually won't be a book. It'll be more of a trifold brochure. Um, <laughs> but I will sit with the author who's going to write the story of my life. And he's going to say, Dave, I've got a lot of great material here. Uh, I've been looking through at some of the great things. And, and you're going to be excited to know that, that all of chapter three is going to be just the stupid things you've done. <laughs> There's so much material. I've got that one time when you're in the lobby and you, you, you got someone's name wrong, that's going in the book. Or that time you spoke to that couple in the lobby and you said, hey, it's great to see you. Is this your first time here? And they said, no, we've been coming for about a year now. In fact, three weeks ago when you talked to us and said, is this your first time here? We told you then as well, we've been coming for about a year now. That's going in the book. Uh, how about that time that you, you interviewed that person for part of your, a series you were doing and you had four really good pre-planned questions, but you decided just off the cuff when, when she said she'd been baptized to, to ask a question that you hadn't prepared for. And you said, that's awesome. Who baptized you? And in front of all the church, she said, you did. <laughs> It happens, and it's going in the book. (laughs) The author would be like, you know what? The more research I do, I think I've got enough for chapter four as well. (laughs) I'd be like, can we just maybe cut those parts out of the book? (laughs) 
And I wonder if when Thomas read John's letter for the first time and, and he reads back, now knowing all that he knows, what he was saying in the room that time. No, we don't. We got no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? I wonder if Thomas just kind of texted John and said, hey, can we cut that bit out? <laughs> Maybe lose that bit. Because think about it, John. We want people to follow Jesus. We want him to, we want people to know who he was. So, so do you not think we should kind of paint ourselves as like, we knew exactly what was going on all the time. We totally figured it out. Like if we come across like a bunch of uh, people who really were kind of clueless, how's that gonna help the course? But that's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about reading scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Accounts like this are left in. And instead of doing harm to the story of Jesus, I think what it does is it, it helps us see ourselves in the doubters and the deniers and the hypocrites and the ones who fell down and then got back up again. The reality of humanity and Jesus's redemptive story for, for the Thomases of the world and for you and for me. So recognizing their confusion, Jesus decides now is the time for an I am statement. Jesus answers Thomas and all the other disciples who are confused. And he says in verse six, Thomas, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him because you've seen me. Thomas, you're confused about how to find your way to the father. I am the way. You've seen the father because you've seen me. I think this is one of the most important I am phrases that Jesus says. In fact, I think it's one of the most important things he says, not just to the disciples, not just to the original audience of the letter that John wrote, but to us hundreds of years later. Because like the greatest GPS or map that you can imagine, Jesus is explaining in this short statement how they can find their way home. Jesus is saying, I wanna help you find your way home. And it was relevant to Thomas and it was relevant to the people in the New Testament and it's relevant to us this morning because God wants every one of us to find our way home. You know, September the 24th, sorry, September the 24th of 2018, it was a very significant date for me. September 24th, 2018. You see, that was the day that I'd lived in America for 24 years and 110 days. It was very significant, I'd done the math, very significant because the day I arrived in America on June the 6th, 1994, I was 24 years and 110 days old. I know, I'm so sad. There was a point where I was like doing all these calculations to figure this out, that I was 24 years and 100 days, 110 days when I arrived in America. So 24 years and 110 days later was September the 25th, 2018. And that date was significant because it meant that on September the 26th, I would have lived more of my life in America than in England. 
So it's like a, a real crucial, and I was telling people on September the 26th, 19, uh, 2018, I was telling everyone I met, today's the day. I've lived in America more of my life than I've lived in England. It was a great story to tell until someone said, well, have you not taken vacations back to England over the last few years? I said, well, yeah. And they're like, well, did you factor in those days? I was like, oh, I didn't. So I had to go back to the drawing board and add up all the days I'd left the country and come back in and oh, so, I had calculators and charts and everything. <laughs> Never figured it out. But I do know this, five years later, I've definitely, definitely now at this point in my life spent more time on American soil than on English soil. I am more of an American than I am an Englishman. That's hard to say. <laughs> but here's what's crazy about that. On paper, the math works. I've lived more of my life on this side of the Atlantic than the other side. But this summer... Casey and my children and I, we've booked a trip. We're going back to England to see my mum. And as we get closer to that time, and people ask me if I have plans for the summer, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going home. I'm going home to see my mum. Because even though I've got a house here and a family and a home, and I love, love, love living here, there's just something about going home. Uh, every time when, we, when we, we, we take off, we land in Heathrow, there's just something about stepping off that plane. I've got a picture of us here from one of our trips. This is us. This is a, a normal occurrence. We're, this is in Heathrow Airport. There's the five of us, and, and we, are, we are home, or I'm home anyway. And actually, ironically, Casey, my wife there, she's wearing a T-shirt that says, there's no place like home that is one of our Connect Church homecoming T-shirts, and that home is Washington. So she's a rebel. She's like, hey, I might be in your home, but my home, <laughs> Washington. And there are things when I get home, there's, there's things that we do as a family that, that you, you just look forward to. You know, when I'm back home, I get to do something like this. There's a place we'll often go for a walk together near where I live. It's up in the Surrey Hills. It's this beautiful walk and you can walk all the way up to these hills and you look down. And there have been times where I've gone back to England by myself to visit my, my parents and I'll, I'll take a picture like this and send it to my family and they know exactly where I am because that's, that's part of being home. There are some things we do. There are some things we eat when we go back, because it just, as I eat that fish and chips, I know I'm home. <laughs> and every one of us, we have a place like that, don't we? I was just visiting yesterday with a friend of mine. She lives in Nashville now, and I've been to Nashville. There are some great places that you can go out to eat, some lovely restaurants in Nashville, but she couldn't wait, having been back, to go to Avanti's and Monocles. <laughs> I was like, really? She's like, yes, because it's a taste of home. <laughs> You see, I think every one of us has a place that, that we call home and, and we have a feeling that we get when we find ourselves there, don't we? There's something kind of nostalgic, something that, that just feels good about, about being home. And I actually believe that God has put something inside all of us, a, a yearning, a yearning to, to find our way home to a place of belonging. And the challenge is, I think we look around us in, in the world in which we live for that home. Maybe it's our literal home. You know, we, we want to build the biggest house or the nicest house with the most land and the most um, spaces for cars, whatever it might be. Or it might be a, a job or a, a relationship or money. And, and whatever it is, we, we're looking for home. But the truth is, I think many of us, if we're honest, will find ourselves sometimes questioning if this really is the home that we're looking for. It's great, but it still feels like maybe there's something missing. 
a British author and theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis. Many of you have heard of him. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in this book, he writes this quote. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That this world was never meant to be my home. Jesus talks about that, doesn't he? That I'm going to a place to prepare for you your home. There are rooms there. There's rooms for everyone. There's, there's enough room for anyone and everyone who is looking to find their way home. And if you look to me, I'll show you the map. Because I am the map. That's what Jesus was saying. I am the map to that place, that place of home. The place where we'll get to spend eternity with Jesus. The place where we'll be reunited with those who have gone on before us. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the map. I am the way. You want to be with the Father? You know the Father because you know me. Paul says when he's writing to a church in in, uh, the Colossians, the Christians in Colossians, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You're looking for the Father. You've seen him in me. I am the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus would say, I will die a, a terrible death, but in doing so, I will become a bridge over the chasm of death that separates you from the Father because I am the way. Not just the way, I am the truth. I am the truth. If you listen to what I say, if if you follow me, if you look to my teachings, I am the truth. It's like Jesus is saying, you'll hear a lot of false ideas of how to get to the Father. Even now, Jesus would say, you'd hear from religious leaders, from the Pharisees, that they'll tell you that the only way to get to the Father is to obey the law, to do everything in your own strength, to be as good as you can be, to to try and do as many things right as possible. He says, you'll hear uh, teaching from them that, that some of you will never be able to get to the Father because you're unclean or because of where you were born or because of your sickness, or your brokenness, or your poverty. And Jesus says, that's not the truth. Don't believe those lies. I am the truth. Believe me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I want to give you such wonderful life. I can give you life forever after you die, but I can also help you experience life and life to the fullest right now. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the map pointing you in the direction of Father God and a relationship with Him. But then he says something that I think is a bit of a challenge still to many of us today, myself included. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. He kind of limits it all down to just one path. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, And any of you who want to get to the Father, 
any of you who want to get to heaven, the, the only way is through me. And we look and we say, Jesus, wait, you're saying you're the only way? You're saying that other ideologies, other religions, that they're not right, that you're the only way? Because that sounds a bit bigoted. That sounds a little intolerant. And I think we struggle with that idea that Jesus is saying, no, I am the way. And it's hard to, to grasp that idea, but I do know this, of when I look at the, the, what it looks like to follow Jesus compared to some of the other major world religions, I do see something that's very unique, something that's very different. When I look across the world at different uh, faiths, different religions, I, I tend to see these two different groupings. They're either legalistic or deterministic. Legalistic or deterministic? And here's what I mean by that. Legalistic is the, this idea that you have to do enough good things. You have to follow all the rules. You have to check all the boxes. You have to follow all the different requirements. And hopefully, hopefully, if you've done enough good, if you've done enough right things, by the time you die, you'll get home. If you've hopefully done all the right things, all that, that would be the, um, like Judaism, Islam, that would be their premise. You know, that here's a list of all the things you have to do. And, and hopefully if you do enough of them and you do them well, you'll find your way home. Then there's another thought, and that's deterministic. That's the idea that everything's mapped out. Everyone will get to go where they're going through a predetermined path. And hopefully I've lived well enough during my life and, and I follow the right path and, and I find myself uh, having achieved what I need to achieve. Some of the more Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, that's kind of their, their philosophy. You know, that there's kind of this just, you know, we're on a path. We have no control of our situation. But what I found about Jesus is that neither of these are the case. When you look at Christianity, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's a relationship that we can choose. We can choose to follow Jesus. It's not deterministic. We don't have any, you know, it's not that we don't have any saying this. We can choose to follow Jesus. It's a relationship that is free. It's not legalistic. It's, it's incredible to think that we don't have to do all these things before we'll be accepted by Jesus. And some of us still struggle with that this morning. We come to church thinking, well, I want a relationship with Jesus, but I've got so much junk in my life. I've got so many things I've got to, so I'll try and figure all that out. I'll try and be the best I can, and then hopefully I'll do enough good that he'll accept me. No, Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. And then out of this relationship with me, you'll see life change. As I come and live within you, live in your life, your, your life will change. And Jesus can be the way, the truth, and the life to any one of us this morning. But we need to make that choice. We need to choose to follow the way, the truth, and the life. And if we do, he will guide us home. So does that mean then this morning that if someone's born in China or Saudi Arabia instead of Ohio, that they'll never find their way home? I don't know. I don't know how God determines that each person around the world is given ample opportunity to respond to his invitation of grace. But I believe God is fair and just, and I trust that he is at work in this world. And I do believe, because Whitney talked about this last week, if you were here last week, you'll have heard uh, her speak about the fact that Jesus introduced himself with another phrase, I am the good shepherd. 
And she told a story last week, Whitney, about a story that Jesus told about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them went missing. He still had 99. She used a great illustration about her kids. You know, she said, one day uh, I lost one of my kids, but I still had the other one. (laughs) So we were good. (laughs) We were still one up. Of course not. Every parent would frantically look for the child that was missing. And when Jesus told that story about the shepherd who goes in search of the one sheep that is lost, he was, he was opening the Father's heart. He was giving us an insight into the Father's heart of God that he is like a shepherd who is continually, continually looking for those who are lost, who is searching He told another story about a lost son. And in that story, the father stood at the edge of his property every day in the hope that today might be the day that his son would find his way home. And we read that even though the son messed up his life completely, made some terrible choices that that broke the heart of his father, that the moment he appeared on the horizon, he didn't get a stern rebuke. He didn't get put in a timeout until he learned his lesson. It says the father ran out to meet him. Because Jesus wanted this, his listeners to understand that the heart of God is like a shepherd who is always looking for the lost sheep. It's like a father who wants to run out and embrace anyone who makes the decision to find their way home. And I believe that this searching heart of God surrounds the whole globe And whatever culture you grew up in, whatever belief system you have, there is a shepherd who is looking for every single lost sheep. There's a pastor out uh, in California on the West Coast. Uh, His name's Owen McManus, and I heard him tell this story once. He's a a pastor, an author, and a speaker, and um, he explains that a while back he got an email from a guy who is a famous energy coach. He's written books on energy, hosts a radio talk show, And one time he had McManus on his show and he said, oh, and here's the question everybody wants to know. Are only Christians going to heaven and everybody everybody else going to hell? That's a great question just to be asked on a podcast. You know, what's what's your answer to that question? He said, after the show, he sent McManus an email and the subject line of the email was Irwin and energy. And here's the email he sent. Hi, Irwin. It was great having you on our teleconference a few weeks ago. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me feel and understand the spirit of Jesus. I grew up Jewish. I followed the spiritual New Age path for a while, and I thought that's where I was going. I never liked organized religion, and I never went to church and never felt at home there. When I became an author and a speaker, I wanted to speak at all the non-Christian conferences, and I was blocked every step of the way. My business partner started sending me scriptures and sharing websites and pastors like you with me. I would drive down the road and look up at uh, the right moment. I'd see signs that said, Jesus is the answer. It happened all the time. But I didn't like the church. I didn't like how they were so judgmental and hypocritical. So I started to question all of it. I started to pray. And I started listening to to your podcasts. When I meditated, I would see a cross. A Jewish kid from Long Island was now seeing a cross. Go figure. About two months ago, after a conversation with a Buddhist healer, it all became clear to me. I became a follower of Jesus. People think only Christians can point you in the right direction, but God used everyone in my life to show me the way. 
God brought me to my business partner. God brought me to you. God brought me to that healer. So also God could bring me to Jesus. And now he brings me to others to hear my story. Sending positive energy your way, John. For Jesus to say, no one comes to the Father except through me, that can be hard for some of us to wrap our heads around. It can actually cause us to to question how loving God really is if he's gonna make it that restrictive. But I think the truth is, like that story, that Jesus pursues all of us, gives us ample opportunities to find and follow him, to experience his way, his truth, and his life. So it actually makes me wonder if the reason we struggle with this, this verse or this idea because it, is that it doesn't so much challenge God's love. It's actually more of a challenge for our love. Because as followers of Jesus, if we do believe this to be true, it's really about the urgency it places upon us on our mission of helping others find and follow Jesus the way we've discovered and followed Jesus. This mission requires us to risk rejection. This, this mission may require us to take the story of Jesus to places that we'd rather not go and spend time with people that we feel a little uncomfortable being with. But we're willing to do it because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there are people who have a yearning to find their way home. And we have the map. We can introduce them to the GPS that will take them to the home that Jesus told his disciples he was going to prepare for them. And he's also preparing for all of us this morning. And this is why for us here at Connect, we will devote every resource, every ounce of energy and time to be a church that that believes our mission is to connect our community and our world to Christ. That is who we are and we'll never stop being that. And I hope this morning you'll join us in that mission. And if you have yet to find your way home, that you would discover that wonderful free relationship with Jesus that he wants to have with you. Can we pray? Jesus, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we we reflect on these, these phrases, these words that you said, Lord. And in their confusion of what was going on, Jesus, you explained to the disciples that you were the way, the truth, and the life. That there was a way to the Father. There was a way to, to experience everlasting life. But it was through you. That there was no other way. It was, it was through a relationship with you. And that can sound restrictive this morning, but the reality is you've made it the easiest thing possible because Jesus, you went to the cross. You gave up your life. You literally created a bridge across the chasm of death so that all we have to do, all we have to do is accept you into our hearts. Accept that you are who you said you were. You are who John wanted us to understand, that you are the son of God who came to to die in that place, who loved us so much that like a shepherd, you came to pay the price to reach us in our lostness, that we could find our way home through you. 
So Lord, I pray that every one of us here this morning, if there are any who have yet to, to take that step into a relationship with you, Lord, that they would do that today. They would find their way home through you. And for those of us, Lord, who have already stepped into a relationship with you, I pray that this morning that will, that will reignite the urgency within us to share with our friends and our family and our loved ones that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. We've experienced it and we'd love others to experience it too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.